0: Talk about the game, Sam. So. Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like the ball, I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome into to the PFF NFL Podcast. Happy Draft Week to all of our viewers and all of our listeners, Sam. We've made it. It's Draft Week. Yeah. We haven't really made it like three shows away. Well, it's draft week. It is draft week. We haven't week. made draft yet. That's still a few days away. As always, I could just use one more week. Just one more week of buzz and hype and prep. Really? Well, yeah. Cramming. The prep
1: part, maybe. The buzz and hype, you, I think you're the only person that's saying that. Everyone else has been saying for like a month, you know, the draft needs to get here already because this is getting silly. It
0: is. And uh, look, there's there's been movement. There's movement in the betting lines at the top of the draft. The betting lines? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're going we're gonna to discuss that. That's one of the big NFL draft storylines. So we're just going to go through the stories here today, everything that you need to know about the entire draft. Maybe we'll get into some analytics. Maybe we'll get into my, my new models. Your model is not analytics. Yes, you it is. are sitting there
1: tinkering away in your laptop to it's, create some, I don't know, what, you can't even call that a model. If it's the best projection system, then it is. Mm-hmm. I, don't what, I don't know what constitutes it's an a official model.
0: mathematical model, but it's almost certainly not what you have. It uses addition and multiplication. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Both of those things. So anyway, we'll get into, uh, get into all the good stuff. Okay. Sound good? Yeah. And maybe even go through some recent mock drafts that people have. Okay. Now, so mock, th- for the mock draft this week, instead of mock draft Monday, we're going to go mock draft Thursday. And Thursday is going to be your mock draft, the people. So the people. show up. 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time Thursday. Our live show here on YouTube we're not going to have a dedicated picker per team. I just, want, I just want millions of people in the chat. just want people. And we'll, and we'll, uh, we'll vote it out. Sound yeah. good? Uh-huh. So that'll be our final mock draft. So uh, that's what we're going to do here this week. Here's a little uh, schedule reset. Okay? Regular schedule of Monday, Wednesday. Thursday is our live mock draft. Thursday night, of course, is the draft. Our plan is to go live until someone tells us otherwise. Our plan is to go live right after round one. Because we do have a live draft show of which you and I said, you know what? Don't put us on the live draft show, round one. Mm. We want to represent the PFF NFL podcast. Yeah. Right? So we're going to be in the dark room, Studio B. I assume there'll be a light there. There'll be some lights there. Yeah. Not, but the good news is the lights aren't as bright there. That's true. Less shine for you. Less shine in the head. Yeah.
1: So we're going to be in Studio B. I mean, what you gain in the less shine in the head, you lose on the weird setting where you're sitting like a foot away from me and look like you're, you know, Andre the Giant.
0: Oh yeah, we're gonna have to do something with perspective. Yeah. You're gonna have to sit a little. We're gonna have to stagger it.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, but it's a tr- like it's a small room. There's not a lot of room to play with perspective. I know that's true. I didn't, plus here plus, is
0: a lot of real estate to screw around with uh, forced perspective. Because it's draft night too, I want to have like all the all the laptops and computers. I want to have all the make it a uh, draft room like you know. Oh yeah. So we'll see. Maybe we'll bring the desktop in and pull down one of uh, Rick's whiteboards. Yes, get a whiteboard one. going. Uh, I didn't call Ruby's about. That's a shame. You know setting us up there maybe another time so anyway we're going to be in uh, studio b Mm -hmm. recording reactions to all of the uh, round one stuff so all that stuff will be up on youtube right after that but we do have the live show uh yeah here on the youtube channel the big guy chris collinsworth going to be there draft expert mike renner it's going to be great so check out the draft the live draft show this week and then podcast wise we're going to go live right after round one yep and then we will be recapping. As we always do, division by division, all throughout next week, probably a four-show week next week, and then everybody goes on vacation. Then the season's over. Nice. And that's it. So soon? Didn't we take a whole week off last year? Didn't we do like a a one-week sabbatical last year at one point? On this pod? Yeah. I I think we did. I think we took a week. Wow. Either last year or maybe it was the year before. That seems lazy. No, I think it was a a recharge your batteries.
1: Yeah? Yeah. Okay. what we did. Uh, we will also, at some point during this week, I will find time to record the Jackson Mahomes TikTok dance because I need to use the green screen over there to to set it up. Uh, I have one part of the outfit for this thing still arriving. Apparently, skinny jeans were necessity for this. Oh, really? So
0: I've had to buy my first only and last pair of skinny jeans for this thing. You know, a good you know when you're when you are doing something like this. You do get the most bang for your buck when you don't just wear something once. You know, it is important to maybe no, 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 no. There's not carry a, that forward. Not a chance in hell I will ever be wearing the skinny jeans again.
1: By the way, also, when you're buying skinny jeans, like, what size? Do you,
0: it, there was the guesswork involved. Because you don't want to – you can't – Do they size them skinny for the right size, or do you have to just – do Do you just size down?
1: I don't, you can't, like, just guess and say, all right, what I usually wear is this, so let's, let's get some regular waisted jeans – but they're skinny size, because if, if you're if you're slightly too small, you're not even close to getting into those things.
0: Yeah, when you just put weight on like I do, all jeans are skinny jeans, so it's good. <laughs> you know, you can. You can. Get anyway, with that. so the skinny jeans, the
1: chief thing that I'm going to borrow Austin's chain, it'll be perfect. And then we just got I just got to learn the dance because it turns out it's more complicated than I gave it credit for. Just have to learn the dance. Yeah, and then sometime during this week. We'll, uh, I'll grab Tyler on the green screen, and we'll we'll do the TikTok dance. And then we're on to baseball again. Congrats. So you won. You got to the 2,500. Yeah. Uh, it's over that now. Somebody else threw another 50 in there. Wow.
0: I got over 1,000. Nice. So that was good. But now we're on to baseball again. We're on to baseball. Which means cool. we so get to see that. how fast they pitch. And it's almost the one-year anniversary of me uh, starting this thing with me picking my hair out. with the fro show. True. About a year ago and all this. Yeah, I can't wait to see you pitch. I haven't done the tally recently, but we just added what, another three... Three and a half grand to it. Yeah. It's moving. We appreciate everybody for getting in here. People are already asking for your pineapple shirt, but that's on the daily. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which made you know, you changed since the daily. Which was already posted. So I'm saying we're at about eighteen grand now. Wow. Impressive. Thank you. In a year all pff NFL podcast listeners and viewers. And when we first started target
1: the target was ten grand in twelve months. We did like
0: eighteen essentially. And here it is. And we still have we still have the second baseball to go. All right, let's get into the show, Sam. PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by the Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day or on draft night. That's right. Western and Southern can help you rest assured on draft night this week. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, let's go through, uh, let us know in the chat here too. What are, what are you wondering about? Biggest NFL draft storylines. We'll be a little interactive with our YouTube friends here. What are you looking forward to? Ask your questions right there in the YouTube chat because we could be a little more interactive here on a Monday morning. But we're going to start with Trayvon Walker. Multiple, multiple sources have him now the betting favorite. Hmm to go number one overall Trayvon Walker Georgia edge defender look every time we get to draft week Sam it feels like we have discussed the same thing over and over and over again and maybe we're going to rehash it again here but Trayvon Walker moving up above Aiden Hutchinson for number one before we get into what my model says your model my math what are your <laughs> thoughts on Trayvon Walker number one potentially to the Jacksonville Jaguars this week? Yeah, I mean we've
1: covered this a lot on the podcast already. Uh, number one is crazy; it's it's just nuts, madness. Makes no sense. Madness, none. Even to put him number one, you have to say arm length matters above all else for defensive ends for edge rushers. I don't know. I don't know what your model says, Steve, but to me, there's more to it than that. You know, uh, and even though Aiden Hutchinson has weirdly short arms for a dude that's six foot seven. He's kind of shown that it doesn't matter. You know? He's got quite a lot of tape of him still successfully rushing the passer with his teeny little T-Rex arms. At which point, we should probably conclude that it's unlikely to suddenly become a massive problem at the next level. I do acknowledge that the competition is going to go up, that it gets more challenging, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But he's posted, like, elite level grades with the stumpy little arms. He's... Good against the run. He's good rushing the passer. He's really athletic, which is the thing I think that seems to slip under the radar here. We look at Trayvon Walker and we're like, oh, that guy's a freak athlete. Hutchinson is also kind of a freak athlete, just a freak athlete with stumpy arms. Like, he ran a three-cone that was nuts. That's really important for being a high-level edge rusher. So I get the argument to say that Trayvon Walker is this, you know, perfect – physical, construct a defensive end-in-the-lab type of body and athleticism mix. And therefore, you put him above guys like Karloftis and Jermaine Johnson and maybe even Kayvon Thibodeau. But the argument disappears when you start to talk about Hutchinson because Hutchinson almost matches him in athleticism. What you're just missing is essentially is the arm length. So you're saying that the difference between these two guys is one guy's got long arms and the other one hasn't. On the other hand, you're offsetting that by the fact that the guy with the arms has no history of pass rush and you're starting that from scratch, and the other guy has a pretty extensive history of being like a very high level pass rusher.
0: I, I think you're missing it a little bit. I think you're boiling it down too much just to the arm length thing. I mean, look, there, there are enough people out there saying, ah, Trent Balky, you know, Jack, Jack's GM. Balky doesn't really like guys, you know defensive ends with sub 33 inch arms or short arms in general or whatever it is but the Trayvon Walker excitement is the total workout numbers it is the total body of his workout and I I I get it like I understand this stuff Sam I understand like where people could get really excited about him as a prospect because we really haven't seen those workout numbers we just did um, the NFL draft comp show Last week, it was um, – did we have one for Trayvon Walker on that? No. We didn't. So, hang on. Just to just to set this,
1: to, to set the table, um, Aiden Hutchinson has a faster three-cone time by quite a margin, actually, over Trayvon Walker. Short shuttle, Aiden Hutchinson is faster again by .17. Uh, broad jump, Trayvon Walker wins by four inches. They have the same vertical – Uh, Walker didn't do the bench. Walker has a faster 10-yard split and a faster 40 time. And then the big difference is he's got three-and-a-half-inch longer arms. So it kind of is boiling it down to the arm length. Walker is slightly more explosive in a straight line. Aiden Hutchinson has better change of direction numbers. So if you call that a wash, what you're doing is saying the difference between these two guys is one dude has long arms and the other guy doesn't. The end. The end. You think that's it? I mean, that is it. I just look at the numbers. That's what it boils down to. Yeah, maybe it's just arm length. <laughs> maybe right. It's just arm length. So now top. you're saying that the arm length is enough to offset massive production versus no production. Not even offset, but offset and then some, because you're saying it's worth taking him above
0: the dude with the production. All right, do you want to figure out how, uh, how do we figure that into um, the model? What does the model say? I'm just saying I was playing around with some PFF data uh-huh. and projecting projecting players this weekend. And I think, I think we've got some good insights here. Okay. All right. So here's why Aiden Hutchinson should be the number one overall player. And if this news is true that Trayvon Walker is going to go number one, Detroit Lions become the biggest winners yeah. in the NFL draft. So all I did, I, I looked at all of the PFF, a bunch of the PFF metrics using wins above average and pass rush grade and run defense grade and all these different things, weighted how well they translate at the next level. I pointed everything toward war, wins above replacement at the NFL level. Why is that? Because even though we, it's our own homespun number, Dr. Eric Eager has done a great job at creating a number that leads to actual wins on the field. Teams that have more war on their team, Win more football games, bottom line. And this isn't like, you know, if you win the turnover battle, you're going to win more games. This is, some, this is prescriptive, not descriptive, right? You can go into a season and say, we're projected to have more war. We're probably going to win more games over time. So what points to war the best? And I looked at all of the production metrics and then all of the workout metrics, too. So, right, I mean, this is part of this discussion, Sam. If you just get into, well, what about, what, what about this one number, arm length? It, it, you're, you're missing the entire point if you're just focused on this one thing. And if you do studies even through the lens of all edges with this type of arm length, do Y whatever it is, you're still missing the point here. So I, put, I, I threw all that into the model mm-hmm. here, Sam, using multiplication and addition, and then said, okay, how well does this work over? It's, it's pretty good. It works pretty well at projecting war when you roll it all in. And then I looked back historically. At who the top players would be. Here's what the model says. is the model. That's what the model says. Nick Bosa. Chase Young. TJ Watt, who we were low on at the time. Joey Bosa. <laughs> Miles Garrett. That's the top five. Yeah. All right. And then I looked... Okay, so all of these players... and I, So I looked at war per season at the NFL level... All of these guys have become elite players in war per season at Edge. Then we get Trey Flowers, another guy, fourth rounder that we hit on. Um, Then we get an outlier, Curtis Weaver from Boise State. I got to go check the maths on that one. Curtis Weaver was good in college. He was a good college player. Missed on him. He went in the fifth round. There there were issues there. Montez Sweat was next out of Mississippi State. First round pick. He's become a high-end player at the NFL level. High-end, just below elite as far as war goes. The next player on the list is Aiden Hutchinson. So he's next as far as, um, and and you can work this as far as, um, you know, this involves like 15 to 20 metrics per player, right? Some players like Chase Young didn't work out on a bunch of stuff. So depending on how you view it, he's a little bit lower. But either way, Aiden Hutchinson's up there. Other guys that were up there that have turned out to be pretty, Shaq Lawson, bit of a miss. He's been average. Obo Okoronkwo, bit of a miss there. Frank Clark's been good overall until he got to Kansas City. Max Crosby is on this list, who just hit the elite barrier. Uh, so a lot of the the hits are at the top of this list using production and then measurables. There aren't a lot of high end or elite players that didn't really fit the bill here. You know what I'm saying? Like there aren't a lot of guys who at the close to the bottom here. Eric Armstead is a weird one because he was an interior player. So the model doesn't like him, but he became an edge at the next level, and he's, he's been one of the better edges coming out. So Aiden, Hutchins, Aiden, Aiden Hutchinson's up there. There's a couple other guys in this draft class that we can get to. Um, but this. But what I, what I tried to do here, I know other people have done it probably better than I have, but take the production and the measurables, throw them all in there, weigh them properly, and it, it might be simple maths. But it's the, ty- it's the type of thing that just at least gets you in the ballpark of, okay, if you, if you do this in a whole bunch of different ways and it keeps pointing to the same names and it points to names that have uh, other names that have been really good over time outside of a few outliers, There's are always going to be outliers, then I think it's a pretty good number. And this was uh, more confirmation for me that Aiden Hutchinson should be the pick at number one and that you're completely overthinking the arm length or whatever other measurables are thrown in here. Where does it have Trayvon Walker? All right, let's find Trayvon Walker. Well, that's not good. You have to search for him. <clears throat> I'm scrolling down. So edge model, just scroll over here. Where's his? Oh, geez, we're in the wrong page here. No, he's here. Yeah, he is amongst the likes. So this is product. It, it factors in all the workout stuff. Other players who were similar to him are in the same range. Joe Tryon. Last year's first round pick, uh, tryon, tryon. He's in his tryon in this in this old spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah. tryon Shoy- Shoyinsky. Shoyinka, um, Shoyinka, Shoyenski. So, what? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm not reading it. I'm like, oh yeah, Shoyinka. yeah, that sounds right. I'm still getting used to the fact that he uh, when you when someone adds the hyphenation to their name, sometimes you know, it takes at least a year. Yeah, you have a one year. So we're closing in on. He wasn't Shoyinka when he got drafted last You've year. You've got some work to do, apparently. I do. I do. Right <laughs> he comes to do. up Shoyinsky. We'll just cut that part. Don't worry about it. We always cut. Uh, Patrick Jones, the second from Pittsburgh. Jalen Ferguson, Louisiana Tech, 2019 third rounder. Both Patrick Jones and Jalen Ferguson were third rounders. Isaiah Thomas out of Oklahoma, who's also in this draft. Jalen Ferguson was the guy that had, like, biblically terrible workout numbers, right? Brutal. Right. But clearly, in this model, Sam, yeah. the production carried him a little bit. I won't say model anymore. That's my, that's Thank our inside God. joke. Cam Brown from Penn State last year's sixth round pick. You have guys like Cameron uh, two years ago, sixth round pick. Cameron Sample out of Tulane was a fourth round pick last year. Uh, ben Banigu from uh, the Colts second round pick a couple of years ago. Anthony Zettel from Penn State sixth round pick out of 2016. Um, so that's where those guys were drafted, and then all of those play all of those players have gone on to have and Tryon Inca too from a war standpoint actual on-field NFL production they've all been below average at the NFL level so Trayvon Walker's kind of in that bucket I'll look through first rounders too I'll just go through first rounders and see where those guys rank too because Jerry Tillery is really low on this list and I know we were high on Jerry Tillery but we didn't have my model at that time no i no. so other first round picks in this bucket that are uh similar to Trayvon Walker include Jerry Tillery, Try- Tryon Chayinka, Eric Armstead, as I mentioned, Peyton Turner, who hasn't really gotten off to the best start yet for the Saints, Gregory Rousseau. These guys are all, these guys are actually all much better than Walker. Just using this number. Even Caleb von Chason's higher yeah. in this number. And he's, you know, first round pick to the Jaguars as an edge defender. I mean, you you don't have to go far. In your own building, you have a guy like Caleb Von Chason who had all the potential in the world. And if you put on the top 10 plays highlight reel of Caleb Von chase on, I thought he looked like Von Miller, but his overall down to down production was absolutely lacking. He was one of the <laughs> worst first round picks at edge defender from a pure production standpoint in recent years. And that has continued at the NFL level. The, so just trying to add some perspective to all this.
1: The Joe tryon Shayenka comparison is an, an interesting one because... He had very good workout numbers as well. Uh, now, they weren't as good as Trayvon Walker, and that, that's something I think that is important that we need to talk about at some stage. But if you just look um, where he was, he ran a four six four forty. 4'40". Uh, he had good length arms, 34-inch. Uh, he had the same one-inch less vertical than the other two guys, Hutchinson and Trayvon Walker. His broad jump split the two of them, so it's in the middle. Um, where he wasn't as good is... The change of direction stuff. So his three-cone was like three-tenths slower than Trayvon Walker, which makes him four-five-tenths slower than Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, short shuttle as well, not as good. So, And he was a guy who, remember, like we're like, this is a an athletic project that you take at the bottom end of the first round, which was seen as a reach at the time, right? Doesn't have the college production, but wow, is he an impressive athlete. So, yeah, it's, it makes sense. Grab him at the end of the first round, Sure. For a team like Tampa Bay that has a bunch of edge rushers already and can bring them on slowly and all these kinds of things. That kind of makes sense, right? That is where you take an athletic project that doesn't have the production. Now, where Trayvon Walker becomes problematic is you probably haven't ever seen this composite of athletic measurables. The the thing about it is not that he's a great athlete because i can point to a lot of great athletes that have stunk at the nfl level in terms of edge rushers but i can't think of one that has as complete a measurables profile in terms of elite level stuff as trayvon walker everything is very very good whether it's prototypical height weight size arm length hand size uh the the straight line explosive stuff so the the forty time is insane, the ten yard splits, nuts, vertical, broad jump, those are very good. And then the change of direction stuff is high end. So it might not be Aiden Hutchinson, high end, but a six eight nine three cone for a dude who's two hundred and seventy pounds is ridiculous. Like Tryon Shainka's was seven one eight, who's and he's a hell of a lot lighter. He's two what, fifty something? Yeah. He's got like twenty pounds on him, right? So the fact that Trayvon Walker has that complete totality of measurables is the, the real selling point. Because as much as you say, look, I can write you a long list of failed athletic edge rushers at the NFL level, I can't come up off, off the top of my head with one who had that level of athletic profile and failed. Can you? And you think of a guy who was that special an athlete who didn't become a good NFL player? I don't think we've had—I think you're right. Has
0: anybody actually worked out at that level? I, maybe, but if they have, they almost certainly became good. Um, so the other guy—during the comp show, we mentioned Dan- uh, Danil Hunter as the, the comp for Trayvon Walker. When I was watching Trayvon Walker, I was thinking about Jason Pierre-Paul as a player. and He worked out way better than, than JPP
1: Walker. So- yeah, sorry, just to cut across here. One guy that people have brought up a lot as, like, the prototypical special athlete stank, Vernon Golston. Remember him?
0: Golston, well, So he was the guy I was going to – because um, I'm buddies with Mike Tannenbaum now. Huh. And Mike drafted right. Golston. And he is not shy to remind us. So, well, you kind of have to, right? you got to embrace that. You, can't you just, have to. You can't just skate by and hope nobody remembers. Now, when it comes to Mark Sanchez, he's like a little bit – like. On one level, he's like, oh, you know, Sanchez brought us to the AFC Championship a couple times. On the other hand, I think he understands he didn't, you know, Sanchez wasn't great. Um, But they're buddies, too. You know, Mark's, you know, sometimes in our conversations, so you can't trash the guy too much. Golston's not in any of our conversations, so he gets trashed quite often. So I'm very familiar (laughs) with Vernon Golston. And that was the same thing in 2006. Yeah, for those that aren't. 2008 draft. 2008,
1: sorry. Number one, first round, number six overall pick. From Ohio State. Now he is the poster child of a dude that had insane workout numbers: six foot three, 266 pounds, ran a four, five, eight, 40 with a one-five-three split. That's that's pretty crazy. Uh, now, 42-inch vertical, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Ten foot five broad jump, again crazy. 37 bench for 37 reps on the bench. Those are all higher than either Aiden Hutchinson or Trayvon Walker. Those are legitimately crazy times. Now. Where Vernon Golson falls down is the change of direction stuff. So three cone was seven one two, which is not bad, but it's not it's not Trayvon Walker and it's certainly not Aiden Hutchinson. Short shuttle, same thing, four four. So again, it's 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 right there, but it's it's got that missing piece, right? The whole point about Walker is there's no missing piece. There's nothing you can point to in that overall, you know, measurable profile. Where you say, ah, this one's this one's
0: not quite as good as the rest. What what if I, what if I turn it this way? What if this is the draft to take the shot on Trayvon Walker? What if this is the draft because, look, I said you know Hutchinson's high. No matter how you break down Hutchinson, isn't that maybe he's how high. You're
1: the Jags. What's that? Isn't that just how you're the Jags? Maybe. Like the whole point is you keep making these picks. You but keep getting but the Calevon Chaseons, and you draft the uh, the Florida C.J. Henderson. Yeah, yeah, Like, you're the team that keeps rolling the dice, trying to hit the the long shot, right? You're the guy at the, the horse racing track who's like, no, nah, we keep betting on the long shot because when it comes in, that's party time, right? When the 1,000-to-1 shot pays off, now we get to go to Vegas. It's like, yeah, but you just burned a Vegas amount of money – Betting on the long shot the whole way. Just take the safe bet. Bet on the favorite every time and you'll win.
0: I don't mind trying to hit home runs. I just don't know if people... I don't know if those are being evaluated properly. What's what's actually a home run? What's actually safe? But and I, then I, I always say diversify, right? And the Jags have not... Diversified, diversified I think a big recently.
1: Particularly, I think a big part of... When you're picking number one in the draft, and when you're picking number one in the draft a lot... It's for a reason, right? And you're not going to get it all back with one swing. So start chipping away at it and just get building blocks. Get guys that may have a defined ceiling. Remember, this was the, this was the narrative on Joey Bosa, right? Oh, Joey Bosa's maxed out. He's not a special talent. Like, his, he's, he's as good as he's ever going to be. You're like, okay, but that's Pro Bowl caliber. Like, right now, you do nothing to him except open the box, take off the ribbon. You have a Pro Bowl player right now. Can he ever become, you know, an All Pro or a Hall of Famer? Maybe not. But if he doesn't, if all you're getting is a Pro Bowl, a perennial Pro Bowl player at that position, is that not quite a useful way of spending a, you know, a top five pick? Yes, yes, it is. Because the alternative is you draft a guy like Caleb Von on or whoever. You you know you swing the 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 bat at a, a special talent and you miss. So just take a safe dude. Stop. Swing in for the fences and just grab the guy that will be good.
0: And by safe, we mean, like, hey, look, all the numbers point to this. I want to bring up Denell Hunter because he's the guy we've used as a comp for training
1: But also, Locker. all the numbers point to it. And and because of the profile, like, I think there's a very small chance that Aiden Hutchinson is not good. Sure. At yeah. the next level. Now, again, where, how good, you know, just quali- solid at I starter, have, a pro bowler, all pro, Hall of Famer. Like, <laughs> where in that spectrum of, for debate? But I think at the very minimum, you are talking about a guy that
0: will be solid at the next level. How about this? If you truly want to hit a home run in this draft, draft Derek Stingley. Sure. That's, th- that's the biggest home run play. Yeah. Would be Stingley.
1: Or, like a, I mean, yeah, uh, Derek Stingley or a wide receiver. Like, if, if that's your strategy, that we need, to, we need to do something that will completely transform this roster in one move, edge rusher is not the guy cornerback or receiver or something that we've shown has a much greater effect of moving the needle
0: is and that's not even in the conversation i want to look at hunter really quick just because he's he's the guy we've used as a proxy for trayvon walker um just to remind people uh, daniel hunter came out we had one year of college data on him it was the 2015 draft he won the third round by the way he did um hunter had an incredible athletic profile yes and Would an,
1: you like some numbers to that?
0: Yeah. To that let's, let's describe Hunter's and, and put them. Do you have uh, Walker side by side? Oh, I do. Oh, you're the best. I got it. So go slow because it's you know tough to just gotcha. inject, you know, now, take in numbers here.
1: The big difference between the two guys was Trayvon Walker has like 20 pounds on now Hunter. Sure. Now, how useful 20 pounds is when you're already an elite athlete and a big enough edge rusher? Up, again, up for debate. But that's worth pointing out there. Uh, he also has arms that are an inch longer. But... You know, Denell Hunter, thirty-four inch arms, longer than Joe Tryon Chang's, two inches longer than Aiden Hutchinson's. Uh, Forty-yard dash, four-five-seven, really fast for Denell Hunter. Slower than Trayvon Walker, but fast. Uh, Ten-yard split, one-five-seven, which is faster splits Aiden Hutchinson and Trayvon Walker. Uh, Twenty-five reps of the bench press, whatever. Thirty-seven inch vertical, that's one inch higher than Hutchinson and Walker. Uh, broad jump, ten ten, which is. Crazy. 10-10 is seven inches further than Trayvon Walker and a solid foot more than Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, short shuttle and three cone. Three cone, six nine five. so we get under the seven-second barrier, which is pretty good. Uh, slower than Trayvon Walker by about six one-hundredths of a second. And short shuttle, 4-3-5, uh,
0: almost exactly the same as Trayvon Walker, but slower than Hutchinson. What I'm hearing is Hunter had the burst between the jumps in the ten yards, I mean, split. he might be the best, closest. Best burst.
1: He might have. He might be the closest analog in terms of the complete composite. He's yes. got insane explosiveness and and linear burst, but he also has enough uh, change of direction and bend to make to put pretty good three cone and short shuttle times.
0: So now I want to go back to the multi- multiplication and addition that I did. The model. The model. Um, with all that said, Denell Hunter's on-field profile that year at LSU: outstanding run defender run-stop percentage. I mean, dude, I remember writing him up. He's, you know, wrong-arming the puller, Sam. I love when a dude wrong-arms the puller as an edge defender. doesn't matter if you know what that means or not. But the guy knew how to play the run, and, and we graded him as such. But his pass rush production was, unbel- like what, 3% pressure rate or something? Ridiculous, right? Horrible. I mean, Danil, Danil Hunter, from a pure pass rush win percentage standpoint, looked like he had no shot at the NFL level, right? And clearly he's become one of the better edge defenders in the NFL. So even rolling all of that information in, which was below average production as a pass rusher, good production as a run defender, excellent athletic profile, here are the closest comps in the model. The, the athletic profile elevated him enough to put him right next to Marcus Davenport, first round pick, UTSA. Carl Lawson, who's gone on to be a second contract player. You know how much we love him. Trey Hendrickson, second contract player with incredible production in college. George Karloftis in this draft out of Purdue. Um, all of those guys are similar players. Odafe always in this mix here. Um, Marcus Golden from Missouri in this mix, guy that's gone on to a, a solid career, right? So even Donnell Hunter, who our data didn't like, our production data did not like, there's a way to look at the two data, all those data points would say production and measurables, elevate Hunter up to all these other players who ended up being very, very good. And this is far higher than where Trayvon Walker ranks on this en- on this entire list. Yeah.
1: The I mean Ben Stockwell made the point to me. He's like, you know, Darnell Hunter's the guy everybody comes to. Darnell Hunter went in like the '80s. He was like a third round pick, and that's where those players are supposed to go, right? Um, the difference though between Trayvon Walker and Donnell Hunter, other than twenty pounds, is there isn't any scheme that explains why Denell Hunter was unproductive in college, right? When you looked at his tape, it wasn't like, Oh, I see. He's being asked to do this specific thing, which doesn't let him pin his ears back and go rush the passer and, you know, be productive. It's like, no, he just, he just wasn't productive. There was just no production there. When you watch Georgia tape, it is a defense that I don't want to say hamstrings the, so this is a thing, right? It's, it's a, delicate balancing line between understanding and acknowledging what that defense did in terms of putting players in a position to make the defense better not necessarily make themselves look better and also acknowledging the fact that like Jalen Carter is still able to look like an all pro like human wrecking machine in there right like it's not it's not like this defense completely just puts everybody in a box and and doesn't allow them make plays because that isn't what happens here so there is definitely an element. When you watch this, uh, one, he's lining up inside a ton, like head up over tackles or even inside the tackles. He's not playing as a pure edge rusher the way Aiden Hutchinson or, or these other guys are. So that immediately is taking a bunch of plays off the table where he's in space against an offensive tackle or a tight end and you know making plays around the edge. Number two, there's also a ton of plays where he's simply playing the run first. And even when you watch like his pressure reel – most of them, I would say, if not a good portion of them, are they're like converted run plays, right? It's He's reading the mesh point, and once he realizes it's a pass play, he's shedding the block and then trying to make a play, either with power or just trying to get rid of the guy and, and getting through a gap. So it's not the same as just pin your ears back and go rush around the edge. Now, he does have those plays as well, obviously. There are plays where he does try and rush the passer, and those are the problem because... On those plays, he's unproductive. So I think it's you have to acknowledge that Trayvon Walker's college production is definitely affected by the defense at Georgia and the fact that they, he was part of a – it was a cog in the machine rather than, like, the focus of the machine. But it doesn't – again, like, the whole point, it doesn't get you all the way there. It gets you a bit of the way. And I would say that's – like, if Danell Hunter was a third-round pick because he was completely unproductive – I would say that there's an argument that Trayvon Walker, given a comparable athletic profile bigger um, and the fact that you can explain away some of that lack of production with uh, the scheme, I would say that at least jumps him to the point where you're now in the try on Shoyinka range of well now we're at like low end first round you pick. would
0: still take him as in the first round and take yeah. that take that chance there's but just I, more risk yes, at the top but and look he might he could pan out like Hunter did right
1: but i don't understand we're just trying
0: to mitigate risk
1: given all the data points we have and the fact that that scheme doesn't get you all the way there i genuinely don't understand what takes him from you know mid to low first round pick to number 1 overall nothing I, that's look. just a, it's a leap that i can't make sense of
0: nothing is set in stone projecting football players is not easy i'm just trying to paint a picture of how to maybe value some of these prospects right and with other players that we have been low on because of low pff production grades including uh, daniel hunter including rashawn gary just for perspective like gary ranks pretty high in this in this breakdown here
1: yeah um, I mean so he, Walker is like a completely different level of unproductive. That's the thing. Like even comparing him to unproductive athletic college pass rushers, he's off the scale at the bottom end, which the scheme only get, again, the scheme only gets you part of the way towards explaining. So my overall point with all this, the bottom line is, I don't think there is a single uh, data-backed argument to take Trayvon Walker number one overall. Even in this draft where you're saying this draft might not be full of a lot of top 10 caliber talents, like the strength of this draft is picks 10 through 60. You know, it's not one through 10. So even in that like baseline of this is an unusual top 10, I still can't see an argument to put Trayvon Walker number one that's backed with any kind of data. What it is is looking at him in shorts and saying, Wow!
0: Like, <laughs> imagine that, that guy's going to be amazing. Imagine what this could become. Look, there's no, there's no guarantee that Trayvon Walker is going to be a quality pickup in the NFL draft. But the only true guaranteed quality pickup this season is Manscaped, the leaders in below the waist grooming. With Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0, your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for a sub 4:340. Support us and head to Manscaped.com. Use the exclusive code PFF at checkout for 20% off plus free shipping. Because of their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology, your nicks and snags will be reduced. In the season of trimming the roster, Manscaped will make sure you're cutting the right players and not any important pieces to your D. Look, fellas, don't drop off her draft board. The ladies out there think long nose hair is a major turnoff. The weed whacker nose and ear hair trimmer is your solution. Why not use the best tools for the job here as well? April's draft season, but it's also Testicular Cancer Awareness Month. Manscaped has partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer, men's health, and early cancer Detection. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. It's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code PFF to turn your Mr. Irrelevant to a first-round pick with Manscaped. We can go through some of my other uh, defensive models here. No, other, no, you know, no, let's no. go through some of the other players <coughs> that I no, feel good about. No, 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 no. no. no? You don't no. want to at all? No. Um,
1: remember, email us in, uh, just ideas, topics, suggestions, anything, really. Anything, anything. We've got a lot of people giving me... Uh, journey suggestions uh places to see i'm thinking given some of the suggestions and generally a little bit of research that there might just be a giant tract of the country that we just have to haul ass through you know from like eastern colorado through like louisiana just the whole area the whole spot the whole thing like a
0: thousand miles just just hammer it in a day you should stop at every major university you yeah? grab some gear you think and then you can wear that on the on the pod you are just rocking some like wyoming cowboys gear and stuff like that
1: we so now that pff is you know getting bigger than ever we're going through the fcs teams and we are. there's a lot of very cool i i'm a big texas state bobcats guy you are i, I like the bobcats anything with generally speaking bobcats as a yeah. as a mascot i'm in right they have a particularly cool looking stylized bobcat mascot and i'm also big fans of their colors Um, so, you know, maybe, I don't know where Texas State is. I can find it on a map. Maybe we can go through there.
0: One of my uh, Brewers teammates went to Texas State. Yeah? Pitcher, yeah. Big Bobcats guy.
1: Yeah. Okay. Anyway, email us in. Um, my, my main point with that is like the, the, the route is still up in the air, but I'm thinking that I might just forget trying to find places in that middle section and look, you know, either side of that. Uh, but anyway, email us in NFLPodcast at pff.com. We had somebody email us in a like handy beginner's guide to the podcast. Did you see that? I did see that. There you go, Tyler's Oh, you Tyler's posted it. Yeah, this is funny. There. This is great. That pretty much sums this up. Really, it's everything you need. Yeah. Between tin cup references, the exploding whale over there at the top right for you know old, do have old school the exploding listeners.
0: Whale. Cannon for an
1: arm. Man's doesn't the, work.
0: The four is there. Field flipping arm strength. Hall of Famer Corey Davis, number 33, the player. Random references to the 90s Jags games. That feels like my little corner down there, yeah. Steve bringing up his career in the minors. Uh Lower left is there. He's even got your baseball card. He's got my baseball card.
1: Not that we have it anymore. It's gone missing. Um, Yeah, where is that? I I don't know. Throwing out random
0: games because apparently they don't count? Cough button doesn't work. Yeah, we gave up on the cough button for a while here. Well, that's
1: because we thought it was causing the buzzing, which it turned out was just you plugging into the power strip. You want to bring it back?
0: No. The great Ali Villanueva. The great... Oh then, yeah, so the left is pretty much a lot of my stuff, the right's a lot of yours. Yeah, yeah. And then it is ridiculous absurd insane. rate right, of knots, so those are all
1: my rate right of knots. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. A little nice little starter pack, as it says. I like that. You know, you could email us in graphics. That's it's not it's not compulsory.
0: Ideas, just That's topics what, generally. Back when we were in like the, the podcast Nook, yeah. remember, we used to get a lot of Got all kinds of crap that we had. Yeah, based. I wonder if those are still there. A lot of graphics. Have we shouted out by the way that we did have an Antarctic listen? I we think did so, have yeah. a download from Antarctica. I think so. Probably have five times already, but I, but it's that important. We should shout it out again. Thank you for. We've reached all seven continents. We knew there'd be somebody. Yeah, I mean, there had to be. Yeah, there's enough people going on research down there that must listen to podcasts. We had somebody at the tip of South America that one time. Yeah, that said he was close. Right. And then there was somebody that was just, like, passing through Antarctica. He doesn't live there, obviously. Passing through Antarctica, you know, firing up the pod. Yeah. It's impressive. Perfect. Nailed it. So now the Penguins can know about our NFL draft takes. The Penguins. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Penguins down on Antarctica, too, or just the North Pole? What? What? I
1: think they're only the South Pole, aren't they? I don't think you get Penguins on the North, North Pole. North Pole, too, right?
0: Oh, right. is it just Antarctica? I, yeah. I don't know. I just watched like the Steve the Penguin thing with the kids. That yeah. was Antarctica. Yeah, not the North. Yeah. Are they in the North Pole too? I don't Let believe so. Let us know. So, but if I'm they not, are. I'm not. So the penguins, no. with penguins That's right. That was, that was Antarctica. That's where they, that is where they filmed it. Um, it right. looks nice through video. It doesn't feel as cold.
1: I mean, it. yeah. I'm sure it's nice to look at. You just don't want to be freezing your nuts off there for too long. No. No, you don't. Yeah. But, you know, with Manscaped.
0: I know. That would have been a good segue. You could groom outside. Just saying. Don't freeze them off. It's snowproof. We'll trim them. <laughs> it's snowproof. <clears throat> what else, where else do you want to go here draft week, Sam? Trades.
1: So what trades are we going to see? Because we've been doing this whole mock draft process, essentially without trades, yep. you know? It's too complicated. Let's just pick for the teams that are going to be there. Uh, we've seen some movement already. Obviously, New Orleans trading into this first round again, getting a second first round pick. Philadelphia trading one of their first to next year. What else are we going to see now that we get we're getting towards the draft? What is what are the most likely trades that are actually going to manifest?
0: Well, I'll answer that in a second. But Kadarius Tony, speaking of trades, yeah, uh, supposedly the New York Giants are sh- are shopping him. They have five and seven. I wonder if the Giants, from a trading standpoint,
1: what is his value? It's got to be like so for first round pick a year ago, you know, low enough first round pick, and everything negative that you hear about him is. Not good, you know. This is the kind of stuff that nobody wants to
0: hitch their wagon to. He had such a weird year. Um, here's the. I want to get into to Kadarius Tony, but my point was going to be: Would the Giants be in the Debo Samuel sweepstakes because they're trying to trade Tony? They have picks five and seven, so they have potential value there. But Tony had just a just an odd rookie season because he goes at. Uh, pick 20 i think most people had him late first round so just going at pick 20 was a little bit higher than maybe people expected urban meyer was kicking himself he would have taken him at 25 which by the way at this point is like a negative against him right all right urban meyer wanted you yeah that's uh it's not it's not a ringing endorsement there was that jags didn't they have that like special youtube draft show where they had all their um rankings and all that stuff like they put that you could see all the prospect grades and all that stuff maybe we need to go back and take a look yeah see what i'm just saying you know normally it would be like
1: oh it's a good thing that an nfl head coach you know really wanted you and was bummed that you got taken like a pick or two before them but now when you see it's urban meyer and everything we've just learned about urban meyer over the last 12 months it's like that's if anything it's a negative
0: yeah so anyway with tony in in camp there was, like, all these reports with the Giants. It was, like, 12 days into camp. It's like, well, Kadarius Tony just fought, caught his first pass or whatever, whatever it was. It was ridiculous. Like, he wasn't doing anything in training camp. He was injured. He was banged up. Everything was bad. Then week four happens, but really week five happens. And he goes 10 catches for 189 against the Cowboys. Yeah. And he looked ridiculous. It was like – I mean, this is like the – When the Trayvon Walker discussion, right? It's like you're buying into this vision of what this guy could be. Tony fit this vision of what he could be, which was like completely different movement skills, elusive. And then, oh, by the way, if he figures out receiver, which is still a work in progress, it's like, okay, this dude could be unstoppable. And he did that for one week. And then, you know, the production was never really there again, more injuries. So he had 10 catches in 189 in one game, finished the season with 39 catches. For 420 yards, so he was a one-game absolute wonder. But boy, did it look incredible! Yeah,
1: a quarter of his catches and almost half of his yardage came in one game, and that one game looked crazy. Um, so you have a guy who's who had kind of weird. Remember when I, this is? It's kind of like the Kayvon Thibodeau stuff, right? It's Kadarius Tony was one of those guys last year who we decided to attack we collectively as, like, the draft community decided to attack for, like, oh, does he really love football enough? Or he's Man's got, like, a rap album or something, right? And it was like, does he love football enough? So he had that. Then you get all the training camp stuff. You get the injury lists, You get the fact that he was this – had this weird college career where it took him until the senior season to True. break out and be dominant. Um, and you hear a lot about sort of attitude problems and, and issues within the building. And then all of a sudden a new regime comes in and almost immediately they're like, yeah, we're, we're looking for, like, we're looking to get rid of Kadarius tra- to Tony." So that's got to, like, that's not, a, those are not things that a, t- a new team is looking for, right? So what is what is his value to anybody? Like, I think- they're certainly not, obviously not getting a first back for him. They're probably not even getting a second back from him, are they?
0: I don't know. Man. I mean, my, my feeling with Kadarius Toney here is it, it's a completely new regime with the Giants. I I assume most of this, I mean, some of it's based off what you're saying, like whatever they believe about Kadarius Toney off the field. But I would assume this group, uh, Joe Shane coming over from the Buffalo Bills, probably had Tony as a late first or an early second and feel like we valued him lower, right? This was like the uh, the – Kind of like the Jaguars trading C.J. Henderson. Well, Urban Meyer being a big part of that. Like, hey, I wasn't here when we drafted C.J. Henderson. Let's get rid of him. Um, so clearly not valuing Kadarius Toney the same way. It could, But I think they could get a second for him. I think teams would have been happy to take him late first. Unless all that stuff you're saying really did have him off teams boards. But
1: I don't know if it would have, but we've had 12 months since then. Like, whatever it was then.
0: We've I'll had- just say, I think the one game, honestly, the one game against Dallas actually changed my perception of Tony in that he could on the field field, in that he could get to this level because other than that it was like is he more than a slot is he more than a gimmick player he's very good at that stuff but sometimes you get gimmick players and they don't get out of that role like Tyree Kill went from gimmick player to superstar receiver Tony showed superstar receiver skills in that one game and I think there, that's at least still worth a second
1: on field. I have no problem with his first year. I don't think his lack of production was down to him, other than the injuries, which are not a, which are you have to take into account. Um, but like we have heard multiple times from multiple different people about his sort of attitude and work ethic and this kind of stuff in the building. If you're an NFL team looking to bring him on, you're making calls and you're hearing a lot about that. And I would I would say that stuff is what torpedoes any kind of draft value for him or any kind of trade value. So I don't know if he's bringing back more than a third round pick.
0: That's possible. I mean, look, I, this is the other interesting thing about I, I'll answer your question at some point as mm, far as cool. the which trades do we do we overrate the actual picks sometime because I think smart teams take advantage of these situations right. A Kadarius Tony, one year after being valued as a first-round player, could be on the market for a three. To your point, right? If that's true, um, it's kind of like you know the Patriots getting Devonte Parker for a three and you know half the salary, right? Those are smart. Those are smart, shrewd moves. As we're sitting here saying, hey, do you take Garrett Wilson? Do you take Chris Olave, Drake London, and all that stuff? You can get first-round caliber receivers, say, for. For lower prices, and I wonder if this is just part of your wide receiver surplus, and if this is just a better way of just kind of like navigating the NFL landscape instead of um, just building directly through the draft. I guess
1: I wonder if the 49ers would have any interest in him, and if he could be part of some kind of Debo Samuel trade package.
0: That, so that's exactly that's what made me think of it, right? So the Giants being there at five and seven, I, I think. It, there's, there's a. It's very tempting, I think, for the Giants to fill an O line need and a pass rusher need, and they're good, right? I and mean, they're fine. Um, but it's also tempting to trade out into next year's draft, or you pounce on the Debo Samuel stuff. And the fact that Kadarius, they do have Kadarius Tony, and he's a weapon and tin cup reference and all that stuff. Give, give Tony to to Kyle Shanahan, Tony and Ayuk. I could definitely see potential potential marriage there to
1: me the Giants are one of the most uh enticing candidates in the draft to trade out one because I think it makes a lot of sense to have another first round pick next year for them Daniel Jones I'm not sold that he can't be the guy I think he's got potential and in a better system and with uh with the new regime there with Brian Dayball I think there's hope for Daniel Jones but equally at this point you can't act like that will be the case you have to start thinking about a contingency so yeah it's like the eagles with jalen hurts okay let's give jalen hurts this thing but let's be ready for a year's time if this whole if this blows up in our face what's the what's the next move what's the the change in direction so for the giants it's like tailor-made for that to be the case we'll spend a, a top five pick on somebody this year and then we'll trade next year for for another first next year. And if Daniel Jones stinks this season, we have two first-round picks and we'll probably have a high draft pick with our own next year. We're like perfectly positioned to be a player for one of the top quarterbacks next year, who we desperately hope will be better than the group this year. So I think it makes all the sense in the world for the Giants to be looking to trade out. And secondly, that spot, number 10, I think is actually like where the value starts to show up in this draft. Sorry, number seven. Um, is actually where all the value starts to show up in this draft, is that just getting towards the end of the top ten, that's where it starts to be. These are the real valuable players. And depending on what happens in those first few picks, an elite prospect, whether it's one of the top tackles, whether it's a, a Kayvon Thibodeau, somebody like that, could easily slide the way to that spot and then enable the Giants to get out of that pick for somebody looking to come up.
0: Austin had an interesting scenario here. I don't know why he's... I mean, he was, you know, he's, he's saying Trayvon Walker, Aiden Hutchinson, Icky Iquanu. I mean, like if Trayvon, if we're looking at Trayvon Walker, and we're like, he's going to go a little bit higher than we were anticipate. If you get like one or two more players going higher than you anticipate, there are value players. I think like you're saying at seven, eight, 10, up to 15, trading down always seems to make sense. There is that, um, that sweet spot there. So if you're the Giants, would you rather go, would you rather get a Debo Samuel for one of those ones or go next year? for one of those ones
1: uh next year i think for the giants like they already have a ton of money tied up in that receiving core remember they gave kenny galladay 72 million dollars whatever it was okay some of that is darius tony so you could potentially offset some of that but i don't know that the giants want to be pumping more money into that wide receiver room immediately until they figure out what the quarterback is so if i'm the giants my optimum scenario is trading out of seven Should just somebody looking to to come up for a a quality player, ideally one that you've already taken. Like if they end up grabbing, you know, one of the top tackles at five and then one of the other top tackles is available at seven and that's the guy somebody wants to trade up for, jackpot. You trade into next year, you get as much as you can, and then you've really positioned yourself well for a year's time.
0: What other potential moves here? What about the Texans? With the Texans at 13, remember last year we said – Player six or seven is like say the cutoff from blue chip players, right? And you had Jamar Chase and Panay Sewell and however you wanted to break that down. What if the Texans wanted to move up from thirteen? The the teams that have extra draft capital. What if the Texans want to move up rather than down? Well, the Texans and get two top ten picks because they just need an influx of of talent here because they already have number three.
1: The Texans are quietly one of the most compelling storylines in this entire draft. Certainly, and we've we've been kind of. I think everybody's letting it go under the radar because for so long the Texans have been the Texans. And it's like, God, this is just, like, depressing. But for the first time, in theory, whatever project they're working on has now started, right? They've been held back by the weird limbo world of having Deshaun Watson basically stuck there with this cloud of accusations surrounding him and being unwilling or unable to trade him until all that stuff happened. So if you're Nick Cazario and you're coming in there, and you're like, well, we can't... Like, We're expecting to have these three first-round picks and all whatever we're getting for Deshaun Watson, we can't do anything until that, right? So they've been literally the last 12 months, if not more, they've basically been treading water, just doing nothing, right? Like, let's bring in a bunch of these roster spots, 35 through 50, right? And just overhaul that group, and all we've done is literally kick this 12 months into the future, and then we'll do the whole thing again next year. So we've seen two free agent periods now, where they've really done nothing other than just turn over the roster, and then done it again. Uh, and it's because you had Deshaun Watson sitting there, and you're like, well, we can't. There's no point bringing in like a foundation piece while he's still there, and you're not playing him. Big chunk of your salary cap is tied up in him. All those first round picks, the draft capital you expect to have isn't there yet. So they literally haven't been trying to do anything. All of a sudden now, that domino has fallen. We've gotten rid of Deshaun Watson. His contract is gone. We've got all the draft capital for him. Now we can actually start whatever this is. And remember, like, Nick Casario is coming from that New England Patriots system where, you know, he was involved in everything. And This is the Bill Belichick protege, I guess, that everybody's so excited to see. Like, what does he do in charge of his own franchise? And for the first, like, while, it's like, well, he's doing nothing because the Texans aren't even trying to improve right now. Now they should be. So now we get to see, okay, what is a guy who's talked about as being extremely smart, who's been tied into, like, every aspect of the football program in two different franchises now. What does that guy do with a blank slate, a ton of – capital to work with and now two picks in the first 13 like where does he go
0: i am i am fascinated by what the texans will do and look it it is it's casario coming from you know being with belichick and uh, are there any other between belichick and the patriots i would say john schneider and the seahawks are there any other drafters who have just some of the most surprising compelling however you want to break it down first round picks Historically, I mean, trying to predict what Belichick's going to do, almost you know, that's always, I mean, rarely works, right? Tough to do. Trying to pick what John Snyder's going to do is even more difficult for good or bad, right? Remember when they drafted Bruce Irvin in the first round right. and nobody was talking about Bruce Irvin in the first round, right? Seattle had a very specific structure. Now, we haven't seen C- Seattle pick in the first round a ton, that makes nine really compelling to me, but then 13 with the Texans, right? Because I was, was talking to a former GM the other day, talking a little bit about this draft strategy stuff and how if you are in like the 10 to 14 range or whatever, there is this tipping point generally that we, always, that we talk about a little bit. There is a tipping point where the difference between, say, 10 and 20 maybe isn't that different. So teams like to trade, into the, to the trade down into the 20s. I wonder if the Texans, who don't have impact players at 13 – would actually want to go the other way and say give us two top 10 picks it's it probably and i'm not saying quarterbacks either this is a trade up for you know a kyle hamilton you're going to come away with a, a tackle and a kyle hamilton or whatever it is or or one of the or the top receiver that you want i'm curious if the texans at 13 which is kind of this no man's land you can either wait for one of those players to fall or you could go get a player And so I think the Texans are one of the more compelling stories, and I could see them doing a lot more movement. I'm not saying I don't have any insight that they're going up. I just wonder if that's a spot where they would want more impact players. And
1: it's also like what style of player are they looking for and what positions? Like where do you value certain spots? Um, And it's like we just ripped the Jags, or I ripped the Jags, essentially, for saying, look, they've been doing the same thing for years. They've been swinging for the fences, trying to find special, when really what they need is to just hit some balls under the fairway and improve, just get better by getting a guaranteed upgrade somewhere. The Texans are now starting essentially from scratch. There's almost nothing in that building that is a long-term building block. They you know, they lock up Brandon Cooks. That'll be one. Laramie Tunsil seems to be staying there for a while. So they've got a couple of pieces. But you could literally take anything, and it would upgrade if you get the right player. So... Does that mean you want to start well, – what do you want to do with those two first-round picks? Do you want to get safe players? Do you want to get two guys that you're almost certain will be good, solid upgrades to their positions and move forward? Do you want to target position value? Are they saying, right, the most, the two most valuable positions we can hit in this draft, wide receiver, corner. So let's grab a wide receiver and a cornerback with 3-13, and 13, which just would be completely, I think, completely different from any mock I've seen. I'm not sure I've seen a mock that's given the Texans – a receiver in a corner with their two picks? Um, or do they say, no, let's let's do what the Jags have been doing. Let's shoot for special in a draft that doesn't have a lot of special. So are they the team, you know, that would desperately hope for Trayvon Walker to be there three? Or if he isn't, do they go with like a Thibodeau because he's got special pass rushing ability relative to some of these other guys? Um, I just think generally we're not focusing enough on how rare a chance this is for to see a team starting
0: from scratch with a guy who everybody thinks is smart at the helm. Franchise defining draft. I mean every every draft franchise defining here. Yeah,
1: I mean it I like I say I, I you don't get this opportunity to roll around very often where you have completely stripped this thing. Like we are down to the bare bones now of the Houston Texans and they are they're going to start. This is day 1 with a new plan. Where do you go? Um, and and you actually, when you do see that, it's typically you've stripped it all down and the starting point is a quarterback, right? So you have, you've ripped this thing to pieces. You have the number one overall pick. You just grab whoever the consensus bill top quarterback is that year. It's complicated further this season by the fact that there isn't that top quarterback. So the Houston Texans, despite having two picks in the top 13 and Davis Mills a quarterback, are almost certainly not picking a quarterback
0: not in this draft. Right. Yeah, I don't think so. What about the what about the Saints at 16 and 19? Are they done? Are the Saints done? And look, I sometimes I like to I like to ignore the hype, Sam. Sometimes yeah. I buy in, sometimes I like to ignore the hype. Is the hype a little any lower for Kenny Pickett right now at 6 with the Panthers? Like Austin Gale didn't have the pan, he's he's a little bit more um, listens to a million things. He doesn't have the Panthers taking Pickett at six. Austin did try to do a predictive mock draft here today over at PFF.com. But is the, is the Panthers the place? Is the Giants pick at five the, the, the pivot point? Is that the place where if somebody is going to go trade up to try to get a quarterback, it is to five with the Giants?
1: It all depends on whether you buy Kenny Pickett to the Panthers stuff. If Kenny, Kenny Pickett either goes at number six or I don't think he goes until like twenty at the earliest. Like that's there's one team that I think is potentially interested in Kenny Pickett as a high first round draft pick. Everybody else probably sees that guy as a low first round pick, and the Steelers might be the first team that would actually take him. You know, if he just starts to slide. So so I don't think I don't think Carolina picking at six is going to prompt any trades to five or ahead. I don't think there's a team out there that wants to jump ahead of Carolina. In fact, I think every team is sitting there like <laughs> waiting to watch Carolina just do something crazy. Be like, <laughs> you just drafted Kenny Pickett. You know, it's great for us because A, we, we weren't going to, and B, you just let like a good player slide one pick further on. Um, but I think it's entirely possible that they've just put themselves in that situation where what, what are their alternatives?
0: The Panthers I mean the Panthers best move here is trade down. But then you
1: still need to find a quarterback somewhere.
0: Take a quarterback.
1: Who? Take one of them, but with more draft picks.
0: Again, so like if, if you had if you're the Panthers, if you had a trade partner and you're sitting there Which at is six, a huge thing at six. Right. And 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 if you are you're the most QB needy team, which means you have you immediately you can't trade with yourself, right? You don't have someone that – you have fewer teams that are willing to trade up to go get a quarterback because most of the trade-ups are for quarterback. Trades up are for quarterbacks, right? So the Panthers, if they had a trade partner, like obviously the Panthers' best-case scenario, I think, is picking at 15 or 20, Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis, whoever, plus having an extra – Second round pick, third round, an actual an actual pick, right? So it's if if the Panthers had these offers on the table, and it's like you could take Pickett at six. Let's say he's your QB one for the Panthers. You could take Kenny Pickett at six, or you could take Desmond Ritter at twenty, and uh, have a second round pick, whoever that might be. You would take Ritter in the. You'd probably want to take Ritter in the second round pick over just. Kenny Pickett.
1: Well, the thing for Carolina is there's a pretty good chance if they're able to trade down, they can still get Kenny Pickett because they're the team
0: that... Well, that's true, too. Yeah, he could still be
1: there. Like, they're the team that's going to be drafting Kenny Pickett way ahead of anybody else. So their ideal scenario is finding a trade partner that wants to come up for somebody at six, being able to trade back in the middle of the first round and still drafting Kenny Pickett, but being able to draft him a lot closer where he's supposed to be drafted and being able to pick up extra picks along the way. That is the dream scenario for Carolina, but that requires the right sequence of picks one through five so that the right guy is there at six, that somebody wants him. And I just, I'm not sure what that sequence of picks would need to be.
0: This reminds me of Daniel Jones at six, right? We certainly wouldn't, would never have taken yeah. Daniel Jones that high. I mean, I would have taken him day two, not day one, personally. But what did the model say? I haven't done my quarterback model yet. <laughs> I've got some uh, data massaging to do. No. To find the right data points. Turns out defensive players are a little bit easier projection wise. Okay. Receiver needs some work, certainly. Uh, I think I think our offensive tackle stuff's pretty good. Offensive line stuff in general. You ready for the secondary model? No. Sauce Gardner. Get in on Sauce early. Okay. So yeah, Daniel Jones. I wouldn't have taken him that high, but you just, you know, the Giants liked him and they, they took him at six. Yeah. Panthers probably just going to do that with Kenny Pickett. Well, that's the thing. I think We just yeah. like him. We're going to take him at six. We're, we're not going to take any chances.
1: Yes. I think that's the problem is that if if you're in this situation, which is not a good situation to be in across the board, right, where you desperately need a quarterback, you need it now, and you're in a draft where you're not picking, you know, number one, you basically have to gamble that the guy that you think is the right player is the right player. And even though, like this is where I have some sympathy with the practicalities of being an NFL GM versus like the abstract theory of you have to acknowledge that you suck at this, right? Which is essentially what the data says. The data says everybody's strike rate in the draft is like 30%. So your your immediate starting position should be nobody knows anything, let's just – Maximize our ability to play the game, which means if you're drafting, you should essentially say that our ability to pick the right quarterback is terrible. So let's just make sure we maximize the draft capital in addition to getting a quarterback. And it doesn't really matter which one, right? That's essentially what the data would tell you. So if you're Carolina and you're picking at six and there's all these, you know, there's what five quote unquote top tier quarterbacks this year, um, your, your starting position should essentially be the chances that we're right and Kenny Pickett is the guy over Sam Howell or Matt Corral or Desmond Ritter or Malik Willis is pretty small. So if we can get one of the other ones and something else, second-round pick, first-round next year, whatever it is, we should take that because the data says everybody sucks at this. On the other hand, if you go that route and you pass up a guy – and you get it wrong which the data will say you will most of the time right Just the hit rate is such that most people will get it wrong so if you get it wrong you not only does everybody get fired but you go down in a way that kind of wasn't you know wasn't your choice you know what i mean you didn't sort of determine your own fate because you didn't make the pick you wanted you essentially said well let's let's see what happens we'll we'll play the data and the data screws us. Whereas at least, so I, I I agree with you. I wouldn't have taken Daniel Jones. Certainly not at six. I probably wouldn't have taken him in the first round. But I have sympathy and respect for saying we think that guy's the guy. We're going to take him. And if you're right, great. And if you're not, people get fired. Like just happened, right? But at least you went down with the with the courage of your own convictions. So if you're Carolina, you put yourself in this spot. You have no quarterback. Sam Darnold is your starter, and it took. Well, it was like 90 seconds of a press conference to Ben McAdoo to walk that back. Did you see that? I did, yeah. Yeah. So it was like, yeah, Sam's a starter. And then like 90 seconds later, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that. Um, so right now, Sam Darnold is a starter, which means you have no starter. You have put yourself in a spot where you have pick number six, and then their next pick is pick 100 and something, right? You have to take a quarterback. So grab the guy at six. And if you're overdrafting him by 20 spots, so be it. If you're right, none of it matters. And if you're wrong, everybody's getting fired anyway.
0: It is interesting that you're referencing the data and, like, here's all the misses in the first round as far as quarterbacks. Therefore, nobody knows anything. I'm still of the minds that, like, the Christian Ponders and EJ Manuals and maybe even Jake Lockers of the world just never should have been in the first round and they just skew the data. But... Maybe that's hindsight. I mean, I don't think it's complete hindsight. And I'd also say QB evaluation stuff has changed in recent years, right? Because uh, there are a lot of people but who would also, look at Josh Allen or Justin Herbert from an analytical standpoint, more Allen than Herbert, and say, no way they're ever going to make it. And the Patrick Mahomes is a little world. I mean, those guys have emerged more than ever. So it is this It might be skewing the difficulty. data,
1: but that stuff is also just like it's it's built into the environment that you're in, right? So you can't, even if it is artificially skewing the evaluation process, it is a, it's something you can't avoid. So if you're Carolina, right, and you say, well, all right, let's look at this. Maybe they're, maybe they're like hip deep into the data in a way that nobody appreciates. So if you're Carolina and you take your perspective on this and you say, well, actually, we're better at this than the data says because teams that reach on these quarterbacks are skewing the data and we're way better at being able to tell this than not. Okay, but if you then trade back, teams are still going to be reaching for QBs because that's that, that's what happens. So you can't, like, it, it will skew it again, but it means that you can't say, well, let's trade back 20 spots, still grab the quarterback that we like, and we make out like bandits because the chances of you being able to get that guy if you trade back 20 spots are small because teams reach for quarterbacks. So it has to be part of the thought process that even if you're able – all it does then is change your own internal calculation of how correct you think you are with, you know, if they, if they believe Kenny Pickett is the best quarterback in this draft. It doesn't mean you can trade back. It simply increases your own confidence level that you're right when you pick him at six. But you're still basically stuck in the same situation of we have to pick him at six.
0: I, would, I, would, I mean, if again, we talk a lot. We're sitting in these seats, Sam. It's very difficult sitting in those seats. They're different seats you got to make the actual pick. I'd like to think if I was sitting in that seat, though, it would be a combination of both where I, I would go in and say, I don't have a ton of confidence. I don't have, you know, crazy <laughs> confidence as far as predicting It's not your press
1: conference opener, right? It's not the pre. yeah, okay.
0: no. But I've, I've joked before, like somebody needs to go into an owner in an interview and be like, look, I'm not I'm not a great player evaluator, but I'm going to take in all the information that I have to, to better maximize picks. You know, that's what we're going to do. So you, I would go in with you don't want to have too much confidence at quarterback. On the other hand, like if I select Charles Cross and he becomes a Hall of Fame left tackle, it literally doesn't matter. right? Well, it so
1: certainly you, doesn't matter for you because you're not going to live to see it. You're going to get fired because you didn't have a quarterback.
0: Yeah. I don't, I'd also – I don't know. It, it, that's the other difficult lens here is um, – was it Dave Tepper? David Tepper? Yeah. He cares about the Carolina Panthers. Right? Whereas, you Richards know, fast NFL rule.
1: owner. Yeah. I mean, and a guy who's shown uh, a willingness to make pretty sweeping snap, you know, uh, alters, of course. Yeah. Like they were, they
0: were, they appeared to be halfway towards building an indoor facility and then just went, nah. All I'm saying is he cares about the Carolina Panthers because he's going to be here three years from now, five years from now, and all that stuff and that's what that's why team that's why it's very difficult for teams to like get over the hump sometimes because they have decision makers who are worried about next year and they have owners who care about long term and you have to have unity in that so you know if if the panthers draft Kenny Pickett and he's or whoever any quarterback and he's terrible and you fire everybody a year later and you still need a quarterback it's like it's not the worst thing in the world for the carolina panthers you, you know so, what i mean if even if you missed out even if you missed out on a starting tackle it's do, not the worst thing in the world. It's only the worst thing in the world for the guys who got fired. Do you believe,
1: just first and foremost, do you believe the Pan- that the Panthers like Kenny Pickett and would
0: want to take him? as Oh, yeah, I'm a sucker, remember? Pre-draft hype,
1: pre-draft. So it's, there's a lot of pre-draft hype, but there's also like a connection, right? Like, there's a uh, connection, Matt right? Rule recruited Kenny Pickett at Temple, right, before he went to Baylor and then the Carolina Panthers. Um, and he was actually committed. Kenny Pickett actually committed to, to Temple until Matt Rule went to Baylor and then you know decommitted and went somewhere else. Um, so this is a long standing connection between Matt Rule, head coach of the Carolina Panthers and Kenny Pickett. So it's not just like we've decided that Kenny Pickett is the guy that Carolina likes. Like there is a previous history between the two. So but you're, you're in. You're buying that. Yeah I'm
0: buying it. I'm buying
1: that they um, Panthers want Pickett. I kind of am as well. And if if that is real, I Think they're taking you at six. I don't think. I you, agree because I I think ultimately, even if it might be a smarter thing, data wise or chances wise, to trade back and t- uh, r- like risk that you're going to get him later on. I think you're, if you're the Panthers, you ra- you would rather go down off the back of your own decisions rather than off the back of somebody else's. That's that's the upshot here is that if you're going to go if you're going to get fired in six nine months. You would want it to be because you took the quarterback you thought would be good and he isn't, as opposed to you ran the risk that you could take that guy later on, somebody else grabbed him, and
0: the other guy isn't good enough, and now you're fired. So if Pickett does go at six, like what's the next prize? Where else is there a potential trade-up? Like is Malik Willis, people have compared Malik Willis as a prospect to Trey Lance last year, but so very good athleticism, very good arm, you didn't think Trey Lance was necessarily raw, but he, he wasn't experienced. Malik Willis is, you know, he's got some accuracy concerns. So there are some similarities there as a prospect. Was anybody going to be? I mean, the the Niners traded up to go get Trey Lance last year. Three first. Um, did they trade up to get Mac Jones and then eventually pivot to Trey Lance? I don't know, but is M- Malik Willis trade upable? <laughs> trade upable. Yeah, yeah trade upable. And if that's the case, is that where the Saints are? Is that what the Saints are thinking?
1: So this is where I think, or the Steelers. This is where I think the the landscape and how the NFL has approached the off seasons completely determine like trade value in a vacuum. So you look at those two guys back to back or side by side, Trey Lance and, and Malik Willis, and you say, well, if Trey Lance was worth three first round picks, Malik Willis should be worth you know a top five pick in this draft, and somebody should be trading up to go get him, but. Last off season, everybody clearly took the approach of, this is a great quarterback draft. We're, we're all in for this draft class. So if we want a QB, we are going after the, the rookies. We're going to make our moves here, and those, that's how we're going to get it. So you have a team like San Francisco saying, we don't even really need a quarterback, but we're going to trade three firsts to go up to three to grab whoever. This year, from the, the get-go, people took the approach of this draft class sucks if we need a quarterback we're finding one in free agency you know or a trade or a veteran whatever it is we're not risking needing a quarterback in this draft class unless you're
0: carolina and you've been basically you're the last team when the music stops do so you um, think it was because of the draft class really i mean the broncos did it at nine well,
1: it almost it doesn't matter whether, whether or not it was directly because they didn't like this draft class or whether it's just that's the way it went the point being it's a different landscape than it was a year ago and the supply, the, the supply versus demand is different. So Malik Willis and Trey Lance are not looking at the same NFL quarterback needy landscape, and therefore the price is different. Like, that's how markets are determined. So, yeah, maybe Malik Willis does deserve a little bit more respect or a little bit more of a market for his services, but there isn't one. Because really, the only two teams that actually need a starting quarterback right now are Carolina and Seattle. And if Carolina thinks that Kenny Pickett is the guy Malik Willis is a market of one and that team picks in the top 10 so that's where he goes
0: so initially I I mentioned will the Saints try to jump the Panthers okay let's say they don't care about Kenny Pickett they think Pickett could go at six to the Panthers do the Saints move up to eight to the Falcons now the issue is in the division will the Falcons, Falcons actually do that um if they want that to happen,
1: they'll move to 7, where the Giants, as we talked they'll about, go to
0: seven. Are, are looking to get out of that pick. So that if that's happening, that's the trade. So either way, the Saints trading up to either 5 or 7 with the Giants to get their quarterback is a potential play. Saints have 16 and 19.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's possible. It, the Saints are a team that could be on the move if you buy the idea that they position themselves for a second trade with that first one. I, the more the longer it goes on, the more I'm buying into the idea that they simply think they need two starters. They're just they going to draft
0: two starters. Yeah,
1: their team. and they just want two first-round picks to get that done. And if you look at where their needs are, left tackle and wide receiver, it actually kind of fits well with getting those two starters in the middle of the first round.
0: You get a Chris Olave, get a Bernard Ryman, Trevor Penning. You get your, you get a couple starters right there yeah. where you need them, if you're the same. So
1: I'm not 100% sure they would make that
0: kind of aggressive move up to grab it was just the such a big – it was just a long-term haul, and they'll figure it out. I mean, look, that's –
1: It would I, also, by the way, go completely against the approach that everybody else has taken this offseason. Like, everybody else has essentially been positioning themselves for quarterbacks of a veteran inclination or trading for next year. The Saints going, no, actually, this, this class is so good we're trading – not once, but twice, <laughs> to go after Malik Willis would just
0: seem very against the grain. But here's what I think the Saints might be doing here, right? Yeah, they, from a salary cap standpoint, they they push it down the road. From a draft standpoint, they've been aggressive in trading up. Are teams like the Saints, the Rams, what the 49ers did last year, I always mention diversifying. Is trading up okay because, like in the Niners' case – You made this huge trade up, which usually hurts your franchise depth over the next few years. But all of a sudden, you have a Debo Samuel that you could trade and get back the draft picks that you, you know, traded to go get a Trey Lance. Maybe the aggressiveness is okay, as long as you know that you're going to have enough built up assets to eventually get those draft picks back, right? So the Saints are just kind of like... We'll care about this year we'll get these players on our roster this year at some point we'll have someone other some other tradable commodity and we'll get some draft picks back and we'll so my point is sometimes we we rail against the aggressiveness of trading up but maybe it's doable maybe it, maybe the Niners can can get back on track and the Saints can get back on track after that and the Rams have clearly made do without um, their first round picks the aggressiveness of giving up those first round picks or giving up extra draft capital it's not, I don't think it's the preferred method, but maybe there's a strategy to it with the Saints or, like, with the Niners and what they're able to do now after that.
1: Well, the Saints as a franchise have had the approach of to hell with the future more than anybody else in the last, you know, decade. Now, the question has been how much of that is driven by Sean Payton and Drew Brees. You know, the fact that they had a quarterback capable of winning a Super Bowl at any given moment and they had one of the better head coaches in the NFL – who presumably was quite involved in front office decisions neither of those things is now there. So does the entire strategy that this team has taken in terms of like playing you know the credit card game with free agency, right? We we max out the credit card and we pay it off each year and we cut a bunch of players and that's how we move. Does that disappear or is that just how Mickey Loomis likes to play the game? So it's very difficult I think to get a gauge on what the Saints strategy will be in terms of future versus now.
0: So who else from a, a trade standpoint? I think the Eagles are I don't want to say stay and put, but I think they'll I think they'll draft twice because they already traded one of their first rounders to next year. Yeah. Uh, that's probably true. Steelers. They're gonna make the move from Malik Willis. Do they feel like they need to jump the Saints now? <laughs> At sixteen.
1: I'm not sure just in case the sealers are in a weird spot I'm not 100 percent sure what they want to do so obviously the quarterbacks that they currently have trubisky Mason Rudolph they don't think that those are the future you know trubisky has been signing the kind of deal where it's like all right it's worth a look you know we'll
0: yeah get, like if you me. end up being our starter that's fine but we're we're drafting someone
1: probably right. if it's, if it's like, the, but if it's, it's the also record. like we we might draft somebody But on the other hand, if we're stuck with you for a year, it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, You have this kind of incentive type of contract, and we liked enough of what we saw from you. Maybe there's something better there. So, yeah, the the Steelers, I think, could easily draft the quarterback if one falls to them where they're drafting. On the other hand, they're drafting low enough down that that is far from a guarantee, and I don't know that they would want to go aggressively up to draft that quarterback, I think they have enough contingency there in Trubisky that they might just sit there, hope a quarterback drafts or drops to them. And if you know Malik Willis is there when they pick, great. But if he isn't, I don't know that they're necessarily, you know, intent on getting that quarterback. And then you're stu- you're sort of in that situation of well, when are they going to be in a position to get one? They're kind of like you know they're almost in this Vikings world of. You're probably too good to ever be picking in the top 5, 10,
0: but not good enough to be contending. They're picking again at 52. And by 52, I don't think you're going to see... I, I, is, does, are there enough QB needy teams that the top 6 are all going to be gone? Top 5 are all going to be gone by 52. Are you going to still have like a Matt Corral option, a Desmond Ritter option at 52? I don't think so. I mean, maybe, but again, you're in
1: that spot of, like, if you if you draft a quarterback with 52 and it's the fifth of the five that nobody really likes anyway, Yeah, like is that doing you anything?
0: I'm just intrigued by the QB needy teams just doing it in the second. Taking it, like, what's the, what are you going to do? Just take it in the second. Seahawks have 40 and 41. They could take somebody there. The Lions have 32 that we always talk about. They also have 34. Yeah. So they have a couple options late first and into the second. The Saints pick again at 49, they can draft a quarterback there. Steelers are at 52. So some of the teams that, you know, I mean, are in draft range there.
1: The two guys we talked about as being big projections, Matt Corral and Sam Howell are perfect second round draft picks. Yeah. Like that is where you should draft those guys. The problem is that they're almost always overdrafted. So and I think that's like your, your idea of, well, teams reach on these quarterbacks. that should never have been taken where they were. They're, it's skewing the data. I think that's the case for second-round quarterbacks as well. The strike rate for second-round quarterbacks generally is terrible. But I think a big part of that is because a lot of second-round quarterbacks end up getting drafted in the first round because we reach on them. But if Sam Howell and uh, Matt Corral end up drafted in the second round, like that is exactly where those guys should be. There's, the tools are there for them to be NFL quarterbacks – but they were at an offense in college that's so ridiculous relative to an NFL system, 40% RPOs. It's such a projection. You can't possibly be confident enough to spend a first-round pick on that guy. So, but I, I, would, I would 100% endorse that. That's like it's similar to the, the Drew Locke spot. Okay? Drew Locke didn't work out. But Drew Locke went where he should have gone, which is second sure. round, has the arm, has the tools. But there's a lot between to get him from where he is to where, to where he needs to be in the NFL. He didn't get there. But I think that's
0: exactly the kind of pick that these two guys should be. Yeah, I mean, look, Drew Locke and Deshaun Kaiser are the two examples that I use where I'm, like, happy to take them in the second round, didn't want to touch them in the first round. Um, What do you lose? Like, Denver, one pick on either side of Drew Locke picked Dalton Reisner, who's a good, solid starting guard. I mean, that's essentially what you sacrifice for the shot at a quarterback, right, is a potential starting guard, a potential starting defensive tackle, whatever it might be, who... You know, those guys are easier to find than franchise quarterbacks. Take those shots. I would take a lot of these QBs in the second round. Um, one guy in the YouTube chat thinks we hate the Sa- hate the Saints, of course. Sorry, Vaughn. Okay. But um, he thinks – he's pretty convinced. He also has the Saints draft board. I'm yep. happy that you do. They're going to get Charles Cross and George Pickens. And George Pickens. Both. Cross is going to be more difficult at 16. I think he might be gone before then. Yeah, possible. But we'll see. Yeah. Um, but those are the guys he's got the board okay um i would be intrigued by the saints getting whoever those two players are and i was using just examples say starting tackle starting receiver whoever that is and then coming back at 49 and getting a sam howell i mean if that's the haul for the saints two starters and then you're shot at a quarterback while you already have Jameis winston boom i'm loving that if i'm nolens (laughs) sure how's that yeah all right what else we have for potential trades here draft storylines uh, who else I think would be interested in moving? Chiefs. Yeah. Chiefs at twenty nine and thirty. Would they? Do you buy into the rumors that a couple years ago they wanted to trade up to get Henry Ruggs? which was a you know remember a couple years ago? So we've talked a lot about Jameson Williams and his speed and all that stuff. And Rugs had his horrible incident last year, but he was that same guy along that Deshaun Jackson. Mike Wallace, Will Fuller level of speed that changes the game. There were rumors that the Chiefs wanted to go up and get Henry Ruggs. And, it, it, and they were sitting on top of the world at the time, right? They were world champs, and it's like, we're just going to crush you with speed. Stop this offense. And it was just a rumor, but it was like, man, if the Chiefs are going to play that game, if that's how they're going to build this franchise, just continuing to stack playmakers on top of each other, like, that's scary. And they didn't really go that way. They went, O line. <laughs> we had this whole discussion. Even, but to the, is that part of the Chiefs' mentality? Would they ever package to go up and get a Jameson Williams and try to recoup some of that speed?
1: Uh, I don't think they're looking for speed. I think the trading away Tyreek Hill signifies two things. One, they didn't want to pay Tyreek Hill $30 million a year. And two, I think it might also be signifying that they are not as wedded to pure speed as they might have been before. Tyreek Hill... Great wide receiver. They've already brought in an element of speed in Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And I think that they have come to the conclusion that because teams are playing these too high coverage shells against them the whole way, it's not as important or as valuable as it maybe used to be for this offense. They need to figure out what the counter to that too high look is. um, And what that looks like in terms of whatever wide receiver they're going to bring in to fill the space left by Tyreek Hill. So I doubt even if that was true at the time, it would be true now. And, yeah, like if Jamison Williams fell to them, I'm sure they'd be all over just because he's a elite prospect. But I don't think that even if they loved Henry Ruggs, they would want to go up and get Jamison Williams now because I think what they're searching for has changed. You think they're still going
0: to face all this too high without a Tyreek Hill, though? I mean, I think they've decided that, like, the offense needs to pivot a little bit from what it was. I mean, the, alternatively, if you have – and Valdez-Scantling's a nice deep threat and everything like that, but he's, he's not so scary that you're never going to single him up. I mean, that is – Tyree Kill is so scary that you never want to have him one-on-one. Yeah, but and the point is if you, replace,
1: if you replace the threat that, that is Tyree Kill with another, you know, scary deep threat, i.e. a Jameson Williams, then you're going to see that
0: coverage the whole way. Well, that's kind of, that, That's what I was going to piggyback off of, right? If you want to, if you've done enough with Juju Smith Schuster, with Valdez Scantling, and you know you've got Travis Kelsey working the underneath stuff, if if you want to get, if you're like, all right, we've got a plan for facing two high shells this year, but you need a guy to keep you keep you the defense in it, then you Jamison Williams would be that guy. And then anytime you come out of it, when you face the it's a new Raiders regime, but when the when Gus Bradley comes in. And keeps playing single high, and you've got Jameson Williams to to stretch the field and, and chuck it down the you know as a deep threat. Just a thought here. With I, I do think the Chiefs' better strategy is to pick multiple players, though. Yeah, at twenty nine and thirty, but I just I found Jameson Williams is the most. Do you think that fascinating any- one to me? Because some people think he's the best receiver. He is the fastest, and he fits everywhere.
1: Do you think that any of these players are going to get traded on draft day? So Debo, to start with. Kyler Murray, you know all the guy Kadarius Tony we've already talked about, but there's now there are a bunch of players potentially available.
0: I think the Debo stuff comes to a head pretty soon. You think they're gonna trade him? Yeah, I mean if he truly wants out, Just I mean, it w- looks like he does. Because the alternative is he plays out the last year of his contract. He's in he's in year four yeah. or four. I remember though, that's which not very valuable. That's
1: not a nothing. You know if he plays out the last year of his contract, leaves, you get a compensatory draft pick for him, and a pretty high one.
0: Yeah, so you're, if you're the Niners, and again, take how angry Debo might be out of it. Who knows? You get to, you, Your choice would be one year of Debo at a very reasonable price plus the compensatory three in, in the future versus whatever you could get for him right now. Is it multiple firsts for Debo Samuel? Is it one first in and in a second? I don't think you're getting – I'm not even sure you're getting a first-round
1: pick for him. You don't think so? Because the, the problem is you're not – it's not Debo. It's Debo and the $30 million contract that he wants.
0: No, I get it. But, like, the Chiefs, the, probably not in it. But the Packers, would they do it?
1: Like, contract is so important with this stuff. And nobody wants that. Like, the, the value – of the Detroit. A huge portion of the value of a Debo Samuel is that right now he's not getting paid very much. So he's an absolute bargain for everybody. The second you have to pay him – upwards of 25 million a year the value in Debo Samuel plummets
0: no I get it I understand but I still think somebody maybe not a first but then if that's the case if it's like one year of Debo Samuel you know talk him talk him back talk him back in get his mind right for the year you get one year of service from him and then somebody's gonna pay him next year and you get a three or you could franchise tag him like you like there's a lot. The, the 49ers have a lot of leverage. Yeah, oh, you, you can tag them and really piss them off.
1: Yeah, but the, so the the leverage of players now is diminished because they can't. There's no holdout. You're stuck holding in. You know because you can't. The finding is too extensive for
0: them to just go. Nah, screw it. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm but not. they're leveraging Instagram more than ever. <laughs> <They> <laughs> you are. say players have no. No, it's true. They have the Instagram leverage. They have the Instagram leverage. If you just delete your Instagram stuff. Yeah right and then the the social media manager that's making you know the lowest salary in the building has to go talk to the GM yeah. and the head coach and say all right how are we handling this yes. what's well, the insta response it's true um but so the 49ers if they can get a first
1: round pick it's probably worth trading if they can't get a first round pick you're weighing up a second round pick versus Another year of Debo, minimum, maybe two years if you franchise tag him, plus the third round pick that you're going to get back from him walking away and signing somewhere else. So you get another year of cost control, Debo. Yeah, and then it's the versus the difference between a second or a third round pick. If you're 49ers, that's worth keeping him, even if you don't, you know, get to
0: cash in on the trade value this year. But he says, "Oh, he already wants to leave. How are you gonna you're gonna reel him back in? You don't have to. What was he like I said? He can't sit out." He has to sit in. And then, and then when it gets to games, he has to play. Otherwise, he doesn't get paid. Supposedly, a big part of it is because he doesn't want to play wide back anymore. Yeah. He doesn't want to be that running back. But like the Niners. That has to be.
1: But, don't, but that's, a, like a, that's got to be a cash thing, right? It's like if I play wide back, I'm essentially taking running back carries, which is reducing my. It's increasing the wear and tear on my body and therefore reducing my career length, which is okay if you're willing to pay me accordingly. But if you're not, then I don't want to do that. Right? Yeah. It's not like an isolated, you know, in a vacuum. I just don't want to do that. I don't want to be a wide back. Why? Well, you know what I mean? It's not. It has to be contract related. Like if if I'm doing this, which is increasing my
0: risk, I need to get more money. So we mentioned we've used the phrase that the, the wide back thing has artificially inflated Debo's value because it's a really cool thing. It's a nice thing. It's unique to Debo Samuel that he could go into the backfield and run the ball. It is a good offensive strategy that helps the 49ers, right? But he's still really good without it if it's just jet sweep guy and and receiver. Is it better for the – should the Niners just go back to him and say, fine. Like, we've been constructing great running games since the 90s. We can do this without you as the running back. We'll make you a really good receiver, Debo, and we'll feed you the ball. You, and we'll have you and Iuke and Kittle, and we'll play less ten Cup. But I think all that
1: does is expose the root of his problem, which is, I mean, look, I don't want to play wideback, but only because it's only because I'm not getting compensated enough to play wideback. If you say, all right, we're not going to play you at wideback anymore. Well, his problem is still fundamentally, I'm not getting paid enough, which you haven't fixed.
0: Yeah, but this is because players want to get paid a year early. Well, yeah. In a lot of things. And they are whether they have leverage or not. They are exercising the right to kind of push back on that stuff a little bit and, and get out of that last year of the contract well, a little bit more. Gain, than ever. So what the NFL gains
1: from the contracts never being guaranteed, right? You know the the NBA or baseball or whatever it is, fully guaranteed contracts doesn't matter what happens to you, you got your money, right? The NFL, it's not the case. We're dealing in this weird world of half, you know, whatever proportion of the contract is not guaranteed. So the NFL. Owners benefit from that. There are years attached to these deals that players are never going to see and money attached to them that they're never going to see. And the ownership has the leverage to be able to drop kick a guy out of the building the second he gets injured or just stops playing as well and isn't justifying the money. Where, where they lose is that because of that, NFL players are constantly trying to redo their contract because the important thing is the signing bonus, the guaranteed money, the upfront money. So whenever these guys are all of a sudden like outperforming the current contract, they immediately want the next contract, which is fine. It's fair. That's how it should be working. But that means that guys like Debo Samuel or whatever, everybody's trying to get the money as soon as they can because that because like, it's not guaranteed.
0: Yeah, that's the problem with uh, drafting good players, man. Drafting good players. Three years later, they want to get paid $25 The million. root source of all problems. Yeah, stop drafting um, good players. Todd
1: McShay wrote today that Nicobe Dean, Georgia linebacker, George Karloftis, Purdue edge, and Tyler Linderbaum, Iowa center, may fall out of the first round with N'Kobe Dean. Linderbaum,
0: Karloftis, and who?
1: Nicobe Dean. Nicobe Dean. With Dean the most likely to be picked in the first round. Uh, What do you make of that? I mean, Linderbaum or Karloftis, I'll take them. I mean, I think... So, first point, I think all three of them. Like, I think he's right. Like, that's where the the, the buzz, the that's where the general sentiment Let appears me, to be on those three guys, which is falling rapidly.
0: I'll tell you what I want to see then. I want the Jaguars to take Trayvon Walker at one, and then take George Karloftis at thirty three. Put A-B him on A-B the same A-B team, and A-B we'll A-B do, we'll do a little A B analysis with the freak athlete without the production, with Karloftis power player with really good production, and put them side by side. That's what I want. That would be fascinating. Yeah. But they already have Josh Allen and Caleb Von Chase on, and they've, already, they've yeah. already got people there. So they're probably not doubling up at Edge, but that's what I would really want to see.
1: Yeah. I mean, Loftus is, to me, he's the guy that's getting completely ignored this entire draft process while we focus on Trayvon Walker and Kayvon Thibodeau's cryptocurrency and Aiden Hutchinson is, other, other than Stumpy what? Arms,
0: the complete profile. See, that's why I'm really intrigued by the Jets not touching a pass rusher in the top 10 that's why so at four and ten because i'm looking at the board here pff.com the mock draft simulator by the way pff elite is 50 percent off right now for annual annual elite 365 days of access you can get it using the code draft 50 right now get the whole unlocked mock draft simulator as part of that but i'm looking at the mock draft sim right now the jets have the third pick in the round two and then the sixth pick in round two so four out of the top 38 picks. A guy like Karloftis Loftus maybe ended up in the second round. Other edge defenders, uh, David Ajabu, who you know has the injury and you know could fall and all that stuff. I am really intrigued by the depth of the edge class. As much as we talk about Hutchinson and Trayvon Walker and all that stuff, it's just not as big of an impact position as the NFL believes. So the depth there, I think, is key. If I'm the Jets... If I could come away with a Sauce Gardner or a Derek Stingley, plus a wide receiver, a Garrett Wilson, a Drake London, whoever that is, I would rather have those guys at four and ten, then come back at 35 and at 38, and I can get two edge defenders. I can get a Carl Loftus. I can get an Ojabu. I can get both of those guys potentially, and they're your pass rushers. But I'll have my starters at corner. I start a CB one and probably a wide receiver one, one one and a half, we'll say. To go with Corey Davis and Elijah Moore and all that. That's what I want to do if I'm the Jets. Instead of maybe, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau or whatever else they would do there. I will Jermaine say Johnson. that the
1: idea that the Bengals sitting at the bottom of the first round would pass on all three of those players if they were available at that point seems a little bit far-fetched. Oh, Loftus would be interesting there. I could see them passing on any given one of them for another one.
0: But Linderbaum. Oh, no, I think Linderbaum, they pounce on that.
1: I think pass. they could pass on any of them. But the idea that, that, that they would go for all three of them, no, for presumably like a corner or
0: something would seem unlikely to me. No, because I think the, the moves that the Bengals made, getting Ted Karras, who could play center or guard, um, getting their starting guard with Alex Kappa— They've got the flexibility to draft a center now. And if, yeah. if Tyler Linderbaum is there, Karis moves to guard, and you you have four-fifths of your offensive line overhauled this offseason. And, at some point, and that's a
1: huge yeah. Win. And at some point, like the, again, the, the certainty, the confidence degree that you have that Linderbaum will be a very good NFL player becomes too valuable to ignore. Like, okay, it might not be worth taking him in the top ten because he's a center and he's a little bit undersized and blah, blah, blah. But at some point, like, that guy's the best center prospect we've seen come into the NFL in the better part of a decade. Yeah. And the other ones have been, like, you know, Frank Ragnow is in that category, and he's one of the best centers in the NFL. Like, at some point, you have to say, okay, screw it. Like, at the low end of the first round, this guy is just too good. Ten-year starter, man. You get that ten-year starter because it's a center. Right. Why wouldn't you? Um, And Carl Aftus, I think, is just getting undervalued at this point because – He's now in that world of being trapped between the guys where all the attention is going. Those top guys, the Trayvon Walkers, Thibodeau, um, Hutchinson, and also Jermaine Johnson is squeezing himself into that group. And then he's ahead of the bottom of the first round, intriguing speed rushers, the Boye Mafes, the Drake Jacksons, the those guys. He's the guy that's sort of trapped in between that on his own little island and <laughs> it just seems nobody's paying attention to him.
0: Carl Loftus or something. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But, like, his tape is really good. That, he's a really good player.
0: It is. It's because he doesn't have anything freaky as far as the workout goes. Right? Good vertical. Good broad. Shuttle's pretty good. Mid-tier 40 and get off and all that stuff. Mid-tier arm length. Like, there's nothing special from a workout standpoint with Carl Loftus. And, again, so... In, uh, in a lot of the pre-draft studies that i'm doing over here i mean when you there, there's a couple ways to look at this right if you look at average measurables for for say first round prospects or whatever it is on one hand you would look at it and say in order to get drafted in the first round you need to you know have x y and z right on the other the other way of looking at it is like here's what the nfl values in first round prospects which i think is the right way to to look at it an edge defender safety corner I mean you see massive differences in 40 time massive differences in all of the measurables basically first round picks in general are better athletes because the, it just to me that that just shows you know the NFL that's what they're that's what they're willing to bank on a little bit more they want to bank on that and i um, trying to pull it up here first round athlete like the the first round edge defenders four six seven The is the average. You know, Karloftis is is lower than that. Um, it's got the, the best broad, best vertical, best shuttle and cone, you know, when you compare it to other other rounds. I mean, it's it's like drastic differences. The NFL is far more willing to bet on athleticism, particularly in the first round, particularly at a place like Edge Defender. So a guy like Karloftis is, is probably below a bunch of that profile.
1: Yeah, I just think that, like, him – the fact that he's being overlooked a little bit makes sense. If that leads to him falling all the way to the bottom of the first round and maybe beyond into the second round, that I think is crazy.
0: Very good value there, if that's the case. I mean, the Packers uh, like to have that depth edge. They could be the team. The Steelers are in play for every good edge defender and or receiver, right? Any of those guys that potentially fall. And
1: then what do you think about
0: N'Kobe Dean slipping? With Dean, I get it a little bit. I think he's a really good player. Uh, you know, the NFL is worried about size just a little bit, and then you worry about cleanliness at the second level.
1: Cleanliness.
0: Cleanliness. He was clean, quite a bit. Huh. He was he was kept clean by the incredible defensive front that we've talked about ad nauseum, right in Georgia, and so there is, and that is a huge part of linebacker play. Right? Those are like the old football adages. I need this nose tackle, I need this dude to eat up blockers, keep the linebackers clean, and all that stuff. I mean, that is a real thing. And if you're worried about him taking on blocks at the next level, yeah. I could see I could see the NFL saying, Yeah, maybe not.
1: Dean is the is the one guy who isn't getting the Georgia bump. Like that when you look at that defense. Because the
0: other guys that are get because the other guys are oversized, fast, twitchy monsters.
1: Yeah, and he hasn't he hasn't run essentially. He hasn't done a complete workout to disprove any of that. But when you look at it, like we're losing our minds over Trayvon Walker, we're losing our minds over Jordan Davis after his combine. Devontae Wyatt a little bit quieter, but at least it hasn't been damaging him. Um, Lewis scenes getting a ton of hype. Uh, the other linebacker is getting hype as well. Like Tra- this is way Walker. Yeah, this is a defense loaded. With players And N'Kobe Dean, who was arguably the best player on the defense, is the one guy who's not getting that kind of boost of, oh, look how amazing this defense was, and he's, he was a standout on it. All of a sudden, and this has been a while, like when um, Bob McGinn has this feature every year where he sort of goes through uh, things that scouts have told him and personnel people and whatever, and there's a lot of interesting nuggets in there. Now, it's anonymous scouts, so how much you weight you want to put on that is entirely up to you. All but, the weight. I put all the weight on it. But there were a lot of comments in that from multiple places that were very, very low on N'Kobe D, like talking about him as a third-round player, et cetera. This was a while ago. And then you couple that with the fact that he hasn't had the boost, that if anything, his stock seems to be going in the opposite direction. Where's my draft board? He then hasn't put up the kind of workout numbers that would dispel any of these things. Um and again, it just seems like a guy who is getting slept on.
0: I, I think the problem there is so you have Devin Lloyd, who I think is the consensus number one linebacker. You have Dean. We have him second on our draft board at PFF. Quay Walker, the guy that we mentioned from Georgia, who's you know probably better. I mean, it's not like his production. He's kind of another Georgia player who doesn't have the best production but has all the measurables and all that stuff, which is, which is um, more palatable at linebacker, we'll say. Right? You, you there are more linebackers who uh, project based off of measurables a little bit better than they do with production right versus defensive line but I think you're looking at this linebacker class Troy Anderson from Montana State uh, Leo Chenal from from Wisconsin there are some starting caliber players that are going to get drafted on day two various Chad Muma from uh, from Wyoming there are some starting caliber players. So I think uh, Dean potentially dropping is as much a scarcity thing as anything else, where there's probably seven or eight linebackers that are that teams feel good about by by round three, middle of round three, that they can get a starter. So why take that linebacker in the first round? Um, whereas you're, you're going to get fewer linebackers. You need, you have, you need fewer starting linebackers. It, with an edge defender, you're going to have a three – Four man rotation, right? So even though you have two starters, you need multiple edge defenders. At linebacker, you might only play two, maybe three. Get you know gets you know 30 tw- percent of the snaps. So edge already is viewed as a higher value position, but I think the depth at edge is different from linebacker, where I think teams are going to we can get our starter later. Let's get our edge. Let's get our tackle. Let's get our corners all in the first round. Yeah. Now all that said, last year what there are four linebackers drafted before at the same time there was like one edge at the you know four linebackers one edge it was just a weird draft last year the way that went down but Micah Parsons was one of those linebackers so who knows
1: like it's definitely fair to say that look at that defensive front on that Georgia defense it obviously helped N'Kobe Dean to not have to deal with a bunch of trash and blockers at the line of scrimmage and all those kinds of things on the other hand it's probably also worth putting some stock in the idea that like this was the best defense that in the nation and one of the best defenses that college football has ever seen, and he was the best player on it. Yeah. Like, that, that should stand in his in his favor, not, you know, if you're looking at those two things and saying, on the one hand, the quality of players in front of him helped him. On the other hand, this was an absolutely stacked defense, and he was, you know, oftentimes, obviously, the best player on it. That feels like it should be a net win for N'Kobe Dean versus No, let's ding his draft stock because of the people around him. Um, I think the real thing that's hurting him is that he hasn't put out those workout numbers that would, you know, show anything. Yeah. Like if he showed up, because he's he's an undersized player, right? He's under six foot, I think, 5'11 or whatever. Yeah. Um, And then showed up heavier than people expected him to be. I think got up to like 229 or something. When people were saying he was like a 215-pound type of linebacker, but then didn't show that at like 2:30 he was going to run fast. You know, if he'd shown up at 2:29 or whatever he got to, and um, you know, ran a four or five, okay, I think a lot of problems are answered or a lot of questions are done, and we're happy. But he didn't. He showed up at 2:30, and it's like, yeah, but can he? What is he at that? Like, can he run, or is he 2:30 for the you know for the? for the workouts but we haven't
0: actually seen if this guy is a superior athlete or yeah that. he's he's below the standards height weight arm length hand size whatever it's worth i mean, the only things that we have on dean are below below average yeah i mean there's the lack of a workout generally i think is hurting him. no i agree that there's definitely something to that that's good news from mcshay not like good news but there's some news that was good to discuss okay as far as draft stories go yeah what else you got here Anything that's else? right here right you guys have any questions? Any questions in YouTube? Just looking at it quick. Vaughn's back again. Commanders are going to take Garrett Wilson. So there you go. Okay. He's got the Commanders board, too. Who's he have the Eagles taken? Kyle Hamilton and Drake London. He's got the whole first round. He's got the whole first round. That'll never happen, they say. You run into any more of that'll never happen, guy? Uh, every day, yeah, always... That'll never happen. Always. Guys, everyone. It's Marvin Leal's Cameron Jordan. All right, I'm done with you, Vaughn. Appreciate you being here, though. I've read too many of your, uh, your comments. If you do want to comment, though, Thursday is the time to do it. Thursday, we're going to listen to you. I won't ignore you on Thursday. Thursday, we're going to do a live mock draft with all of our fans. I want thousands. I want thousands in attendance okay. for the mock draft Thursday, 1030 a.m. Eastern. We'll be back here on Wednesday with our regular midweek show, we'll do some mailbag stuff, hit on whatever other draft news we have. Because it's uh, it's draft week, man. We, all the buzz is crazy. And don't forget, get to PFF.com. Using the promo code DRAFT50. This doesn't happen often, so get it now. DRAFT50 gets you 50% off. PFF Elite annual subscription gets yourself the draft guide. You get 365 days of access, so you have all of next year's grades. You get all of our historical grading. And uh, don't forget, the draft show. We'll be live Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, all three days of the NFL Draft. There'll be a Sunday recap right here on the YouTube channel. A few other places, too, where it's going to be streamed. Uh, Sam and I will be doing some, uh, some side work on night one. I'll be live on night two, and we'll be podcasting day one right after the draft. Mm-hmm. So you'll get one extra podcast Thursday night to recap all of round one, and then we'll be recapping every single team next year uh, next week. I've said enough words. Yeah. You got anything else? No, no. To add to the outro? I'm talking now. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Back to modeling.